Well, markets were a lot more cautious on Friday. The jobs growth in the US slowed. That was the numbers before we started hearing about Omicron. And on the same day, they recorded their first case in the United States and the UK, incidentally. They're now up to 246 at least. So will it slow down the track of the central banks? Well, it seems likely that they won't. So that raises another question. Could the Fed and other central banks be talking about tightening too soon after a slowdown, stalling a recovery? It wouldn't be the first time, would it? It's Monday. The 6th of December 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. So the markets weren't exactly imbued with optimism on Friday. The telltale signs, well, the US dollar lost 0.3% to the Japanese yen. Equities tanked, a 1.9% fall in the Nasdaq, 0.8% for the S&P 500. So tech feeling the brunt of it. Bond yield sank, a 10 basis point fall in 10-year treasuries. Much smaller falls in Europe, though, and a bit of a fall in oil, but just 0.4% for WTI. Brent actually rose a bit. And the VIX index got up to 35, which is back to levels it was at when we were in the thick of it all just after last Christmas. So why all the doom and gloom in a season when we're all supposed to be hearty and merry? Well, it can't be uh, because Friday saw the first reported case of Omicron in uh, the United States, surely. I mean, they obviously didn't think they could avoid it. Or was it non-farm payrolls? Well, maybe, but here's NAB's Tapper Strickland in Sydney. Uh, Non-farm payrolls uh, didn't perform that well. Uh, But what are you putting these falls in the markets to on uh, on Friday, Tapas? Uh, good morning, Phil. Uh, yeah, it was quite an interesting night on Friday and broadly showing that kind of risk-off theme that we have seen over the past week. And really, the past week has been driven by the headlines around the Omicron variant. And on Friday, there wasn't too much new news there, but I think people going into the weekend were fairly cautious, uh, just given what happened uh, the prior weekend, um, given those um, headlines that first initiated from the Omicron variant. And then as well as that, you've had uh, Fed Chair Powell tilting the FOMC towards the hawkish direction. And I think a lot of the movements that we're seeing, particularly in the tech sector, is uh, representative of a more hawkish pivot occurring from the U.S. And that's despite the payrolls numbers, because I looked at those and I thought that's a bit of a disappointment. 210,000 new jobs in November, down from 546,000 new jobs the month before. Uh, I just thought, you know, the the job recovery is slowing down, but this has been taken actually as, you know, not a bad sign, really. It was a mixed payrolls report. And as you know, that headline payrolls number was a disappointment at 210,000 against 550,000 expected. Uh, But when you look at the alternative household survey, that showed incredible strength. So there were 1.1 million jobs um, added uh, on the household survey, and that saw the unemployment rate fall by four tenths to 4.2% against 4.5% expected. And that came even with the 0.2 point rise in the participation rate. So overall, those figures are relatively strong. And if anything, the outlier within those figures are actually the payrolls numbers themselves. So we'll be looking quite closely whether the payrolls numbers get uh, revised up uh, the following month. Mm. In terms of how the Fed is likely to apply this, um, the Fed's Bullard was one of the first FOMC members on, on the airways. And he said, uh, except for the headline payrolls number, that jobs report seemed quite strong across the board, it certainly seems consistent that this is a very tight labor market. So the read from payrolls is that it's strong enough for the Fed to um, go ahead and accelerate its taper profile at the December FOMC meeting next week. And then that would Mm. see tapering end around March uh, instead of June. And that opens up the possibility of multiple hikes from the Fed in uh, 2022. And that hawkish pivot, uh, I think, is part of the reason why you've seen these moves within markets. And 
you're, you've seen significant curve flattening occur over the past yeah. week. And when you look at the twos, tens curve, it's now at 75 basis points. And when you look at market pricing for the Fed, they're still pricing almost three hikes in for 2022. And interestingly, in some segments of the rates markets, you're actually starting to see curve inversion uh, beyond the 2024 space. So when you look at euro dollar um, futures, they're showing slight inversion beyond March 2024. Right. And is, on is, is, that, is that because people are thinking COVID's still going to be around beyond that and so we've got an uncertain future? It's, it's, it's more the fact that markets are fearing that the Fed goes relatively aggressive in hiking mm. and then at the same time you've got a, a slowing occurring in the US economy in reaction to that as well as in reaction to uh, the fiscal stance which by definition will become contractionary just given how much stimulus has been put through yeah. during the pandemic so that combination of tightening monetary and tightening fiscal policy is creating some fears uh, within some within the market that you could get a slowdown occurring in the US economy and that could see the Fed perhaps uh, cutting rates uh, beyond uh, 2024 now of course it's very hard to pick the beginning of the next cycle or Oh, sorry, the end of the cycle before you've even started the first rate hike. Um, so at the moment, it's still very early days in, in terms of this, but there is some fear within markets that the Fed mm. may overdo the hiking cycle yeah, next year. Understandably, isn't it really? Because, I mean, before COVID came along, uh, economies weren't exactly bubbling along, were they? And we certainly weren't talking about tightening. We were talking about more easing measures, if, if anything. And now we've got economies scarred by all of this and uh, all of a sudden tightening is, is on the agenda. Uh, definitely. And, and the other point that policymakers were stress quite a lot um, at the height of the pandemic was not to tighten policy too early because of the policy mistakes that were made after the global financial crisis. Um, it does seem that perhaps policymakers so. could be set to make those same mistakes again um, <laughs> in the sense that at least that's yeah. what the market is, is, is fearing. But when you look at on, on the inflation side, it's very clear that uh, inflation in the US has has broadened out and mm. uh, that the Fed is reacting to that broadening out of inflation pressures. It does seem like uh, almost everybody's on board now with this idea of faster tightening. So uh, Mary Daly, another Fed member, uh, she's uh, on board with it, uh, provided uh, the current trends continued, she said. And of course, she's looking at jobs creation uh, and also inflation. And of course, that means ahead of next week's FOMC meeting, it uh, makes uh, the, this week's inflation numbers at the end of this week particularly important, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. And when you look at the core measure, um, the consensus there looks for a core CPI print of around 4.9% year on year. So a relatively punchy uh, CPI print. Uh, and so I think that view of the Fed uh, accelerating its taper um, at the December meeting should play out if that consensus number is printed. Uh, so what else is going on? We had, uh, well, some fairly good reads elsewhere, didn't we? So the uh, the ISM number for manufacturing was good, better than expected, a healthy 69.1 on Friday, uh, which is up actually by far the highest ever since ISM started in uh, 1997. So we had business activity, new orders, both rows, uh, and the pace of job creation as well. Uh, so, I mean, all good signs generally. Uh, definitely. And that ISM services print was, was really, really strong. And that also... Um, kind of combined with a number of other pieces of data that does point towards perhaps a little bit more positivity for this week. Uh, and in particular, the headlines around the Omicron variant were relatively positive. Uh, and most of this data came out on Saturday, but we're starting to get the first harder data coming out from South Africa, uh, confirming that at least uh, it does seem to suggest that the Omicron variant is uh, relatively more mild than prior virus variants. Yeah. Um, so we got a small 
sample study of 166 hospital admissions and 44 patients in COVID wars, wars in certain provinces within South Africa. Um, and they just noted that uh, within that sample, um, the majority of patients in the COVID wars, COVID wards did not have to be oxygenated. Um, and so that suggests that uh, at least uh, according to this variant, Compared to other variants, mm. it's, it's relatively mild. Yeah. But um, they do caution that uh, it's relatively uh, early in order to make that assessment. And the other one that I found interesting was in terms of uh, hos- in terms of hospitalizations. Um, of the people who were hospitalized, only six were known to be fully vaccinated. Um, mm. So it does suggest that the vaccines provide a very high degree of protection uh, but again it's still relatively early we should get updated numbers on that on tuesday from south africa and then on sunday uh, we may get the first lab testing um, of the vaccines against uh, certain mutations within the omicron variant look back to central banks uh, way before the uh, the fed we've got the rba of course tomorrow and also the bank of canada um so are, are they going to be pretty hawkish you look at the employment numbers there 154,000 new jobs we saw on Friday in November. That is up from 31,000 the month before. And it actually takes jobs there, 186,000 above the pre-COVID level in February last year. So uh, that's got to be a sign for them to step in, hasn't it? Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I think the Bank of Canada has been signalling that they may need to start hiking rates in the middle of, of the year and markets are well-priced for the Bank of Canada to, to hike. I guess the only uncertainty is in regards to how the Bank of Canada is interpreting um, the Omicron variant and the potential headwinds there. Uh, but I think there is a very good case for the Bank of Canada to start lifting rates uh, multiple times n- next year. Um, as for the RBA, uh, I think they will, will strike a relatively positive tone. And if you recall, the Q3 GDP hit was uh, as, as, sorry, quite a bit less than what most people were thinking. So Q3 GDP came in at 1.9% Q on Q, and the RBA had been expecting a 2.5% Q on Q hit. Um, and then you add mm. to that the quite sharp rebound occurring in the labour market, and I think an optimistic tone will will be struck, but I don't think the RBA right. will say too much. They don't really do anything, Yeah. The world's most cautious central bank. They'll say, yeah, we've got loads of good news, but we're still not going to do anything. That's uh, the gist of it, isn't it? Oh, uh, yes, but I think it does play to at least our view that uh, many people will question why is the RBA still undertaking QE when you've got payroll employment above uh, pre-lockdown levels uh, and when you've got mm. those kind of forecasts for core inflation to remain within the 2 to 3% band. So Nav's view is that the RBA ends QE in February and so we'll be looking for any sound bites in, in regards to that but I don't think we'll get too much in the way of any hints at all. And uh, any takeouts from Europe? We had the market PMIs on Friday from Europe, the service numbers. Well above 50 for November, up on October, not quite as high as anticipated, but not far off and all uh, uh, pre uh, the the new strain, of course, but uh, not bad for Europe. Uh, yeah, so you'd have to say those uh, PMIs were good, but as you noted, it predates the Omicron variant and largely predates the retightening of restrictions in a number of Eurozone countries in reaction to the rise in hospitalizations that that aren't actually due to the Omicron variant. So it's no doubt you'll get a little bit of softness occurring yeah. next month. But then, you know, maybe years. we'll see some reversals. If, I mean, if we find that, uh, so for example, Germany is right on the verge, aren't they, of mandating the vaccine, but uh, which is going to be an unpopular move. But if we find it is mild, maybe they'll reverse all of that. Look, it's going to be a big week for China, isn't it? Because we've got uh, debt restructuring going on for the Evergrande saga. How is that going to play out this week, do you think? Oh, you, you have to say Marcus is taking a fairly 
relaxed view in terms of Evergrande to date. And with the intention to restructure some of its off- offshore debt, I think that could lead to a little bit of volatility out there. But the base case is that the Chinese central government values social stability above everything else. Mm. Uh, and so I think uh, markets are definitely trading in, in terms of that. But in terms of where markets are trading in terms of US dollar debt issued by Evergrande, I think they're trading at just over 20 cents in, in the so, dollar. So markets have already, already priced in that yeah. restructuring default scenario. And then the question is, how much of a spillover does it have to the rest of the economy? And I think many people will be looking out for uh, further stimulus measures by this central government to offset any potential slowing there. Now, today, uh, ANZ job advertisements, uh, the index for Australia. Today, we get German factory orders. Later on, we get UK construction PMIs. Actually, we've got Ben Broadband, the Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, is going to be talking on the outlook for growth, inflation and monetary policy at Leeds University. That speech is going to be on the uh, the Bank of England website from 11.30 a.m. UK time. Uh, look, it's it's looking less likely that the Bank of England is going to do anything uh, this month, isn't it? I mean, Michael Saunders, who's another uh, Bank of England board member, hinted over the weekend that they might delay it, and he's normally fairly hawkish, so that's got to be a sign. Yeah, it does seem like uh, at least markets are reducing their probability of a December rate hike. I think it's now 73% price, and it was almost uh, 100% price just a couple of days ago. And mm. you'd have to say uh, the... Deputy Governor Broadbent will probably play into those views as well. I think the BOE just wants to buy a little bit of time just to get a bit more certainty uh, around what's happening with the Omicron variant there. Uh, And then in terms of Australia, the other indicator that I'll be looking at is the monthly inflation gauge by the Melbourne Institute. And normally it doesn't get too much of a look in, but in Q3, it did pick up the upside surprise to core inflation. Um, So the monthly inflation gauge is for November. So um, I'll be looking at that quite closely for any upside risk to Q4 CPI. Right. And this Aussie dollar holding its own, really, wasn't it, on Friday? Still just under the 70 US cents. Tell you one currency that's not done so well, Bitcoin, uh, if we can call that currency. It's fallen almost 18% uh, in the last month. A pretty sharp fall over the weekend as well. I can hear the Bitcoin uh, people all crying out now, now, buy the dip, buy the dip. But uh, I suspect you won't be doing that tapas, neither will I. <laughs> Thanks for your time again. We'll catch you again soon. That's it. Thanks, Phil. And that's it for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then. <laughs>